Huey, Huey. Welcome to the Deaf Perception Pod. I'm Dr. Nadia. We have a special guest here today, Dr. Guys. Sony. I'm Svetlana, and we have a special guest. Well, we have Dr. Fayez Mahkouk. He's an optometrist um, with a passion for technology and eye care. He's also the founder of Augmented Vision Labs, which is a techno uh, technology company that is dedicated to utilizing emerging technology to solve persistent problems in eye care. I'm very impressed. Oh yeah. We have to do a Thanks whole pot about your I have to do a whole pot about the the your founder business too next time. We'll have to do that. We have to down. <laughs> I can take it from here and also let you guys know that um he also enjoys giving back to the optometric community and currently serves as the academic and diplomatic liaison for the Intrepid Eye Society. Did I pronounce that correctly? Intrepid. You got it. Intrepid. Some words are a little difficult. <laughs> and through this role, he has also worked to empower optometry students by facilitating educational and mentorship opportunities for students to support their future success. In 2015, Fayez has also founded Young Leaders in Optometry, which is kind of where we all met too. Like in person, right? I think all of us got together at that time. Were you there, Nadia? Yeah, well, Nadia and I went to school together, so I've known her, you know, yeah. since then. But yeah, yeah like different conferences and YLO. Yeah. You're right. And this organization with the goal of this is that um, to identify the brightest young minds in optometry and empower them to reach their full potential. This episode is about AI really and, uh, you know, AI is affecting everything in, in today's society. You know, it's affecting our day to day and obviously it's coming in optometry as well. So uh, we wanted to get, um, you know, your your take on this. And first things first, can you tell us what do you feel like are the pros and cons um, of AI? Great question. You know, it's a technology that is kind of all the buzz right now and you're hearing AI this and AI that in all different aspects of society. So I think, you know, healthcare is going to be one of the main areas that's impacted. There's a couple of reasons for that. You know, one is there are a lot of unmet needs in healthcare right now. And the other piece is that, um, you know, it's kind of a lucrative field if you're able to solve some of these uh, problems because healthcare is notoriously known as being one of the highest uh, costs as far as services provided in our country. Uh, and even with that high cost, there are still a lot of dysfunctions. And so it's really a huge area that attracts a lot of attention from the AI community. Um, and the pros of it is that AI can help solve some of these intractable problems in healthcare. For example, access to care. Um, I think some people would be surprised to know that only one in every three American adults gets an eye exam every year. So there are 330 million Americans and only about 100 million uh, get access to eye care every year. So it just makes you think, you know, if you want to be able to serve everyone in our country, are we going to, need to triple the number of optometry schools and triple the number of optometrists? Or do we try to, you know, solve it in a way that's smarter instead of just trying to work harder and replicate the system that's currently in place? If the system that's in place was going to solve this issue, we would have already solved it. So we need to think outside the box, use new tools. With any new technology, there's going to be kind of a haves and have-nots type situation where certain groups of people benefit more from utilizing that new technology and other groups can be left behind. So you can think of a lot of the major, you know, shifts in technology, you could think of electricity, uh, mechanization, and uh, the automobile. There were industries that were, you know, substantiated on 
the the previous technologies, right? There were people who, you know, made their living around caring for horses and farming hay for horses. And when the automobile took over and horses, you know, they're not gone, they're still around, but people, you know, the vast majority of people don't rely on horses for transportation anymore. You know, they, they have horses for, for fun. And so, uh, you know, it, it's important to, to kind of understand where the tides of change are and to position yourself to take advantage of them. And, you know, the people who are, you know, going to be, I don't want to say displaced because there's going to be always other opportunities that are created. You know, they need to be uh, looking to shift where they are. So, you know, for example, in 1920, there were uh, about one in every three Americans was a farmer. Today, only about 2% of the population are farmers, right? So because of technology and mechanization, we're able to farm so much more efficiently. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, you know, additional 20% of people are unemployed. There were other things that came about because of the technology. You know, you could have a lot more engineers that are servicing the tractors that reduce the number of farmers because, you know, there are uh, institutions that are educating you about new things that have come about. There are other jobs besides farming. So the opportunities will change. There will be opportunities that are going to go away. There are going to be brand new opportunities that come about. Yeah, yeah. I think those are some great thoughts. It sounds like the conversation of like technology and AI go hand in hand here. And I think we all like, you know, coming into this, maybe have like a gut feeling of good, good and bad. And it's good to kind of discuss it out loud, too, and, and kind of get your perspective. How would you say like the future of AI and like more of an eye care setting would, would is going to go? Like, do you have any thoughts on if you had projections about that? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I don't have a crystal ball, so I'm not going to you know pretend <laughs> like I know what the future is going to hold. But I'll, I'll throw some things out there that can, you know, be potential scenarios. And, you know, one thing I will kind of preface this by is kind of a, uh, an example of kind of issues or uh, technologies that we were kind of scared about in the past. So this was something that I'd heard about from uh, a more seasoned OD because I wasn't around when this happened. But uh, apparently when auto refractors were first coming to the market, there were a lot of people that were afraid that auto refraction was going to displace optometry. So, you know, we all know today that that's not the case. In fact, I don't really know any optometry office that doesn't have an auto refractor we've used the auto refractors to make ourselves more efficient and you know we still have you know the old school way of doing things you know we still have retinoscopy and in some cases that's going to be a useful tool for us to keep but for the sake of efficiency we're utilizing the technology and incorporating it so it didn't actually pan out to be a doomsday scenario for optometry it ends up being something that helps us be better and that's what i hope the future of eye care is going to be but I will say, though, that that's not a guaranteed type situation, because if you didn't have legislation in addition to the technology, things could have happened differently. You know, in some countries around the world, you can go get an auto refraction and get a prescription and glasses without ever meeting an eye doctor. So it's not just technology. It's technology and legislation going hand in hand. And both of those need optometry to be involved, involved on creating the technology, adopting the technology, and then also advocating on behalf of our patients to make sure that technology doesn't get misused. Yeah, that's a good point about seeing the parallel of how things were changed or the perception of something so simple as an artifact or something we don't even question today that that was questioned before and how, how that's really aged and, and changed. So I, I think to your point, you're saying we should be open to new ideas. Um, one one funny idea I had right now, too, I just kind of uh, used AI to help kind of, you know, encourage this conversation anymore. I put in in chat GPT, how will artificial intelligence affect optometry? So I, I just wanted to read off some things, too, and kind of hear your guys' thoughts. Uh, early diagnosis and disease detection. It can help with uh, analyzing images using OCT, that kind of thing. Customized treatment plans for patients uh, where 
patients can use optometrists can use these uh, AI to kind of give people plans. Telemedicine, which is something you know, I'd love to talk about with all of you all. Patient education, drug development, um, enhanced diagnostic tools. Um, any thoughts on some of those topics that AI helped us generate? I mean, isn't it incredible that you know you you just have basically an AI thinking partner right now, you know, for for the podcast. Imagine if you had that in clinic, right? Like you see something you haven't seen before, you're not sure about. You can have, you know, an AI, you know, assistant that can help you come up with differential diagnoses, that can help you come up with treatment plans. Um, think of it like having a preceptor with you, you know, that's not going to judge you or give you a bad grade if you don't know anything, right? It's just something that's knowledgeable and helpful all the time. Right, right. It gives you the information and the, the, the background maybe that you don't have at the fingertips. But then that's where there's still that human element that we bring, right? With communication or, or sticking and thinking through these processes. That's where the AI can't just do it all, right? That's a great point. And especially in the beginning, you know, AI is going to be really geared towards doing very narrow tasks because of the capabilities are going to be limited. Uh, the type of AI that can kind of think and do everything like a human, that would be artificial general intelligence. And that's what you see in sci-fi movies. So that type of technology is, you know, much further away. But the type of AI that can do defined tasks for you is already here today, and it's going to be growing more sophisticated going forward. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think Will Smith would be okay if we had some iRobots doing some uh, exams here. What would you guys think? Whoa. <laughs> is that like from a movie? I'm yeah, sorry. yeah, it is. Haven't watched iRobot? iRobot, there you go, yeah. No. You got some homework. Nadia, this is leading into your next question. If you write want. that down. That? iRobot. Watch it on the flight. <laughs> my next question about yeah let me pull up my questions guys i have my uh, my my last question my game ready at the end hold on let me switch all right Nadia, i got you don't uh, worry yeah let me let me rock. okay you guys make me nervous so how like we're talking about you know ai being utilized oh, in tag, practice please. i told you to take it um, away how can it effectively be incorporated in each practice. I think we've mentioned uh, a few things right now, but do you want to just emphasize um, how it can be incorporated? Yeah, you know, I have to think about it just from the perspective of pain points. So like, what are pain points that you guys currently see in optometry practices? Or what are pain points that you're currently experiencing as an eye doctor? If you guys want to shoot some of those out, I can see if I can brainstorm some of ideas of how AI can be helpful. Staffing. Mm. Absolutely. And so what does the staff do in, in your office? Check in, work up, uh, assist with, uh, you know, customer service related issues, getting prescriptions, things along those lines. Absolutely. And so imagine if you had an AI receptionist that is able to take the calls to schedule appointments, can forward patient records, can handle all the robocalls, um, you know, answer basic questions that don't require a doctor being there and is available 24 seven to patients. You know, that right there is gonna take some of the load off of the staff. If you're able to free 20 to 30% of a staff member's time because the AI is taken on those tasks, that staff member is able to be more productive in the office. They might be able to, you know, help promote your social media, help do recalls to bring more patients in, things that help the practice, you know, be more successful and thrive. And if that staff member needs to take some time off, it's not as much of a hit to the practice because some of the tasks that they would traditionally be doing, they're still going to be done by the AI. The AI is not going to get sick or need a day off. So, you know, look at it from the perspective of augmenting the staff with AI tools, um, I think can help a practice be more resilient and, and more successful. 
Yeah. What about like when to refer and when to monitor? These are like things that I I always trip up on because I'm like, should I send? Should I not send? And it takes like a lot of like research and time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of like an intuitive kind of gut feeling type thing right now. But if you had an AI tool that gave you, you know, scientifically backed predictions of, hey, this is the expected prognosis for this patient, um, you know, the the likelihood of them getting worse or the likelihood of this happening or that happening is this much. And this is the confidence interval for that. Then you have some data to be basing uh, those referrals on. Then also even just something as practical as writing a referral letter. You know, the AI can just type it up for you. It already has access to your EMR and your clinical findings. Uh, you need to do prior. Yeah. And not even just that, like prior authorization letters to get medications approved for patients. From a student perspective, if I had AI there to easily keep track of like all the specific diseases that I've seen, like the unique cases um, and even the simple ones, but keep track of it because everyone says to learn from the patients that you've seen, but I don't know a systematic way of learning from previous cases. And in the EHR, it's also hard to go back and figure out like the patients that I saw a month ago. It's not a very, it's not easy to go back and like look at the patients that I had. So somehow we were able to use AI for students to be able to put, like actually learn from their cases. Like that would be really cool. And then to have like scientific backed articles based on like that specific disease or topic. It's like, okay, it's all right here. It's so easy to go learn more about this. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, as you guys were mentioning that, I was kind of drifting off into like thinking of two potential things. Like one, when you're in clinic, right? When you're with the patient, you know, how many people love actually spending an extra hour at the end of the day charting, right? And filling out the EMR, you know, it's just a hassle, right? So if you had a scribe right there, that scribe can populate your EMR chart as you're going with the patient, right? Now, unfortunately, scribes are not really that common in optometry settings. They're almost universal in ophthalmology, right? And, you know, the one reason that you don't have a scribe is probably cost-related, right? But if you had an AI that can do a good job of essentially being your scribe uh, for 25 cents an hour, you know, that's a no-brainer, right? And so then right there, instead of being turned away from the patient, you know, pecking away at your keyboard, you can essentially engage the patient more and have all the information that you need to put in the EMR put in there just in the background. So just something as simple as that, I think, can increase the quality of the patient experience and then on the student side, you know, as you're studying, you can have an AI study partner that can help, um, you know, you can ask questions to just like how you ask questions to chat GPT now. Um, mm-hmm. And it can be voice. So it can be like uh, an easier interface. So, you know, either if you're studying by yourself or if you have a study group, you and a few people and you just mm-hmm. put a little, you know, Alexa in the middle of you guys and, you know, ask questions. And if that AI was as good as the best optometry teachers then that right there has just boosted your education by a ton because you have 24-7 access to expert knowledge and, you know, the AI is not going to get bored. It's not going to get sick of you asking the same question a million times. Uh, It's always at your fingertips. So just thinking of all these things that we don't have now but would be great to have, I think is a a good place to kind of spend our time as opposed to thinking of, you know, the downsides. Yeah, I actually do have a scribe and it's like they don't, like every doctor wants something different. So they all have to like learn how we all want our charts. And it's never like, I still have to look over them because it's never perfect. I'll forget to put something or they won't know how to spell something. So yeah, just having that kind of like more 
intelligent i guess in a way like artificially it would be like nice because then you'd be like oh this is the doctor it would like already know how i'd like want my charts basically mm -hmm. yeah you are right I it is uh in different fields kind of like more accepted like uh, I know other MDs, some of them where they'll, they'll say like the audio of their exam and then it'll type it out. Or, um, I know another MD who uses, uh, you know, in the Philippines to like workers there to kind of chart for him and scribe for him to save time. But you're right. That's something that we can definitely, uh, utilize, um, SV, were you about to ask a question? I don't want to interrupt there. No, no, you're fine. Um, <laughs> I was just going to move on to a new topic. And I wanted to know, Fayaz, do you think that AI can potentially threaten our careers? If so, why? If not, why? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's, you know, something logical to ask about if we're talking about AI having, you know, these huge capabilities and, you know, the things that we've kind of been talking about so far are kind of like ancillary of doing some clerical work and, you know, things that are relatively minor. But AI also has the, the potential to do tasks that clini clinicians are the only ones that are able to do right now, like autonomously diagnosing disease. So I think it was back in 2018 that the FDA approved the first AI autonomous system to diagnose diabetic retinopathy. So this is a system that can take a look at a fundus photo um, and essentially determine whether that patient needs to be referred to an eye doctor or if that patient doesn't have any signs of diabetic retinopathy. So if you just kind of extrapolate that into the future and you think of all of the different conditions that we rely on imaging to be able to diagnose, you know, there's literally, I can't think of a single, you know, eye disease that we don't need to look at to be able to diagnose. And if AI can look at pictures and OCT and come up with a diagnosis that is as accurate as a clinician, then that creates a situation where, we need to make sure that it's applied and deployed in a responsible way because the clinician is, you know, the thing we bring to the table isn't just our ability to recognize patterns or see what something looks like and say this is a disease or not. You know, we have training on ethics. We have training on, um, you know, handling the patient's emotional state and speaking with the patient in a way that is actually going to empower them to seek treatment. So we don't want to have the complete power of diagnosing and managing be handed off to a machine. The doctor needs to be in the loop in there somewhere. And so in these early stages, it's going to be kind of like a screening application where, you know, the patient is screened and then it's like referred or not referred, but we need to be, you know, in the mix and understand that there has to be, you know, a human being who has the patient's best interest at heart that is in the loop. And so I think if we don't do that, AI can't threaten not only a portion of our capability, but also our credibility. Because if patients get mismanaged or uh, patients get treated like a number, and there's not someone there that is an advocate for them and they get worse outcomes because of that. How would you say um, AI can help like transitioning into, help, help a new grad like myself transition into role as being an optometrist? Yeah, that's a great question. So maybe I'll crowdsource some, uh, some more pain points or difficulties that you guys either have personally experienced or have heard from new grads, and then you'd see if we can get AI to help solve some of those. 
Well, I said mine. It was like diagnosis sometimes. I, or, okay, I've been practicing for a year and a half and I saw my very first herpes patient, like finally, like, and then I was like, oh, wow, this is so nice. Like I, I knew right away what it was. And then I was like, okay, I'll be right back. Cause then I was like, oh, what do I do? So I forgot, like, you know, you study this and then you kind of forget the information when you're not applying it. Right. Versus mm-hmm. like something that I see all the time that I would see, like when I was on rotations, like, um, like uveitis that forget all day right but this was my first one that i've ever seen so i had to be like hey what do i give should i give a cycle you know should i do like a drop and so you know these kinds of things like transitioning from like a new grad it's like you want to be confident i think that sometimes we have that mindset where we don't have someone babying us a little bit anymore i always want to like Mm -hmm. ask like is this the right choice that i'm making Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah i mean imagine if you had uh, function built into your EMR that as soon as you typed in what your diagnosis was, or even if you're not sure what the diagnosis is, if you type in one or two differential diagnoses and it populated information and images for you to help you settle on the right diagnosis, and then from there gave you the treatment plans, and this is without you having to sneak out and look up your Will's Eye manual, you know, that's just mm-hmm. going to make you more efficient and, you know, provide a better outcome. And it'll be something that's updated continuously. Because, you know, AI being connected to the internet is going to be able to, you know, incorporate information from new research that comes out. And it's not like you have to wait a couple more years until there's a new edition of, you know, your clinical guide that you go by. And, you know, it's like we're, you know, it's 2023. Like we all have these little books that we run out and open the book and scroll to the right page. It's like, you know, it's time for us to leverage the state of our technology. And that's what AI is. But um, in retrospect, what do you think is stopping a company from like making that and then just having that for patients readily available at home? If they're like, these are my symptoms, what's it in, sends the diagnosis to the pharmacy and that's it. And they just don't even come see us. Dr. Google. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dr. Google's already out there now, right? So patients already have access to some of these types of things. But I think uh, like we had kind of touched on before, that's where legislation also comes in as another important piece. And so you know, going into optometry, uh, the optometrists that I was shadowing were always uh, emphasized the aspect of optometry being a legislative profession. And so, you know, that aspect has allowed us to actually grow our scope and be able to do things now that 10 or 20 years ago, you know, people didn't even think optometry would be able to do. And so as we grow in our scope and using, you know, our legislative advocacy to expand what we can do as optometrists, we need to also be making sure that it's going to protect our patients. going forward and that you know these tools have a lot of potential to help but then you know if they're not used properly just like anything you know the tools that we use right now to help patients if you're using them recklessly they can hurt a patient and so we need to you know be looking out for patients and using our collective power uh, to make sure that they're going to be protected yeah you're right dr google uh, can be something that can uh, come up for us every day, right? Like even right now, I just put in uh, chat GPT, uh, chat GPT, uh, what do I do? I have a red eye and it goes through like 15 different options, but at the end of the day, it could be herpetic. It could be uveitis. It could be dry eye. And at the end, it gives a little blurb. Remember using self-care measures are appropriate, but if you're unsure, definitely see an eye doctor, an eye care professional. And I think that should be at the head of everything, right? Like as a human, we can interpret this information and make a decision. And it's not as black and white as they say in textbooks either. Like I've seen people put stairways on ulcers. So um, that's where the, the doctor element, the human element is very important. 100%. And especially because, you know, something like chat GPT is not going to actually 
be able to look at your eye, right? And especially not at the level that we're able to see on the slit lamp. So pretty much what it does is it gives you just a shotgun approach of all the possible things that it's going to be. And to be quite honest, that's not really that helpful to uh, a patient who is not an expert um, in eye care, right? So it's just going to give you a bunch of things to worry about. And it could be one of those things is the thing that's actually giving you your red eye, or it could be none of them. And you don't know. So it's not really giving you more certainty. It's not really helping you. So as you mentioned, you know, there should be that disclaimer of this is the type of information that's actually needed to tease out what your cause of red eye is. And these types of tests are tests that only an eye doctor can do. So the best use of your time is actually to go to an eye doctor. But for us to be able to get that kind of language incorporated in some of these types of systems, we need to actually be engaging with the companies that are creating this. We can't just expect them to be able to read our mind and understand, you know, what our stance is on it. So I think collectively as a profession, we need to be making a concerted effort to reach out to companies that are developing AI tools and to have a seat at the table. Um, I know before we kind of started the pod, we were just kind of touching base, um, but you said something really interesting about how like AI is more readily like recognized in other professions such as ophthalmology and not so much in optometry. Can you like touch on that? And, and like, why do you think that is? Yeah, that's a great point. And this has kind of been a trend ever since I was an optometry student. It's actually one of the things that really motivated me to start writing articles about AI when I was a student. Um, I was personally curious about AI and then I would read all these studies and, I'm wondering, well, where is all this information getting published? Because I don't see it at the conferences that I go to. And it turns out that, you know, the researchers and the AI developers, they all essentially go to the ophthalmology meetings and engage with ophthalmology as their main source of engaging with the eye care community. And I felt like optometry was getting left behind because we're, you know, we don't have the awareness and we're not also engaging in crafting the research or not, uh, you know, publishing and having the conversations within the companies that helps, you know, helps them direct their resources in the right places. And we think about it, it's a huge disconnect because the vast majority of uh, encounters for primary care happen in an optometry setting. All right. So if we see, you know, the vast majority of patient interactions of those hundred million adults that get an eye exam, if the vast majority of them are coming to us first, at least, and we're not engaged in the technology that's going to be, you know, front and center in the future of eye care, then what does that leave optometry? And how do you think, like, we can change that? Do you think we just need to be asking more questions? Do you think that we as optometrists should be like, hey, I'd really like it if I had a generator that would just kind of look at the scleral lens on an anterior OCT and tell me what I need to change? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. I think it's a, an all of the above answer. You know, you as a, a clinician who is able to integrate technology into your office, you know, ask the companies that are providing this technology, your EMR companies, the companies that are providing uh, your diagnostic equipment, ask them how they're incorporating AI and how they're going to help you, you know, take advantage of that technology and not allow you to get left behind. Um, as a researcher, you know, you can, or an educator, you know, you can educate your students as a researcher, you can look at, you know, AI research in eye care, uh, if you're involved in organized optometry at any level, um, you can be, you know, helping us craft uh, a stance that is beneficial to our patients and that does not erode uh, optometry's role in having that doctor-patient relationship. 
So I think there are a lot of different levels that we can kind of have a concerted effort and organize on. Uh, it's just a matter of getting started and making a commitment to it. Very cool. Um, one more question, and then I think we're gonna we're gonna move on. So JD, you wanna ask the last one? Yeah, I think we've kind of touched on some of the, the like you know, kind of what the preview of the last question is going to be. Uh, kind of applying, how can we go about applying AI on a daily or eye care basis? And uh, we we've kind of go over some things, but just kind of give like a wrap up for everybody. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we've kind of mentioned several scenarios that we're noticing in the office setting, or if you're a student, you know, or a new grad, you know, there are different pain points that we all face. And I think over time, we've just kind of, you know, come to grips with, well, this is just what it is. This is just going to be a hassle. I need to just grind through it. But, you know, AI is really an opportunity to re-question all the things that are not working well. And it's for different people, it's different issues because different people are at different levels, right? You know, optometry educators have different problems than clinicians, than students. Um, so I think everyone has a, a pain point that can be addressed. And I think we just need to have an open mind and keep an eye out for what new tools are being developed because, you know, these tools are being developed for things that are maybe outside of optometry, but can be used in optometry. Like you're talking about chat GPT, right? You know, I know people who are using chat GPT to write referral letters and, and do things that are not necessarily, you know, brought to their doorstep of, Hey, use this as an optometrist, but they're open-minded people that are, you know, looking for new ways to enhance what they do. And so that's what it takes. Yeah. So uh, utilizing the chat GPT, I think you also said in the uh, utilizing companies that are working on these different uh, products or artificial intelligence, things like that. And uh, it sounds like I like how you do that. You're saying, hey, look at what our pain points are and try to see how technology or artificial intelligence can solve that. And so hopefully that sparks some thoughts for other people out there where they have some pain points and they can start you know, working on these projects or seeing how AI can help. Uh, those, those are some great thoughts, man. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's uh, at the end of the day, it's kind of a supply and demand situation. So if in optometry, we're not creating the demand, then companies are not going to go out of their way and invest millions of dollars in developing these tools for us. Right. So, you know, part of it is on us to to be um, interested in, in moving forward from the things that we have done into the things that are going to allow us to get to the next level. And when companies see that we have an appetite for that, they're much more incentivized to invest in bringing those tools for us. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Well, ask, you know, talking about ChatGPT, we've asked ChatGPT to make a list of would you rather questions yeah. for optometry. It's okay. So we're going to ask you like yeah. three. We're not going to do too many. Would you rather have the ability to instantly correct any vision problems in others, but never be able to wear glasses or contacts yourself or always have perfect vision, but never be able to help <laughs> anyone else with their vision? Wait. This yeah. is having perfect vision and the rest of the world is blind. Is that what this is? That's crazy. Would, you rather have would, I, would I rather be blind and everyone else sees well or everyone sees well and yeah. I'm blind? Yeah, basically. Is that what it is? Like, would you um, rather just like never see and help everyone else see or would you just rather see but never help anyone else? How can you help? Damn. The difficult <laughs> part is that like if I don't see well, it's going it tough to help other people. Yeah, you know. Yeah, pick one. So yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a kind of a convoluted question there. Um, it is. You know what? I'd help other people see because then, if they can see, and then 
you know, they're able to do research to find out what the root cause of my vision issue is and they can help me back. Wow, how noble. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, would you rather have a patient who can't stop blinking during an exam or one who can't stop staring and intensely into your, to your soul and your eyes? Like sometimes JD will tell us to do. <laughs> you know what? I think I'm good with the staring patient because that means they have a good T-butt for sure. You know, I don't have to have worry about managing their dry eye. And then, you know, they're not blinking all the time during the slow exam. The combo. Yeah. The combo. There's nothing wrong with that. I agree with you. No problem. Touch their shoulder, you know, <laughs> just do the combo. Go that far, according but... to JD. <laughs> Mirror their actions. Would you rather have to explain every eye condition in rhyme or have to perform eye exams while singing a catchy tune? I might have to go with the catchy tune. Okay, because, let's let's yeah, hear it. I what can't catchy, rhyme like that. What catchy tune would you sing? Fine. Oh, I'm not doing my exam otherwise. <laughs> you know, I would. Touche. We already know she's going to do some uh, Taylor Swift if she has to do it. Yeah, I'll be like, and it's good <laughs> that she, you know, and then they'll instantly, all my patients will come back, obviously. So, oh, yeah. I mean, of... think of like changing the patient experience up, right? Like, you could tell a patient, like, hey, I am going to explain to you what your dry eyes like. But I know you're a Taylor Swift fan, so I'm going to tell the AI to look at my EMR, and it's going to sing the stuff that I was going to educate you on. Like, you know, that's not an experience that, you know, you get in eye care right now, and you don't have to be a talented, you know, songwriter or creative person to do that. You just have an AI to do that for you. Let's let's put Explain Myopia by Taylor Swift into JetGPT. Yeah, the mm -hmm. sound. Like, yeah, and there is like, you know, like AI Drake that AI. Uh, I think is like able to do songs in the voices of you know different people. So you can. Oh, yeah. Totally. Not on weekend, AI is nominated for yeah, it's nominated for that, a Grammy. Was it the like Drake and Weekend song that was like yes. not real? Something that got millions of views. No uh, way. Wow. I just got a whole song according to wow this is beautiful taylor swift too oh the chorus is myopia oh. you pull me close so near but the why world outside i couldn't quite see clear why is it actually there you go. <laughs> these taylor are bars words what and melodies weave as i squinted through the oh haze you conceived <laughs> <laughs> they're so good yeah mm -hmm. these are really good i'm putting these on our page later Let's write the song. <laughs> All right. Well, well, thank you. Thank you, Fayaz, for coming on. Before we hang up, is there any advice? Because I know we talked about AI, and that's just like one thing that you are passionate about, you're involved in, but there's so many other accomplishments you have. So what's the piece of advice you would give to the listeners? Um, maybe... Um, to the optometry students, to the young ODs, you have a lot of experience. What's, and it could be advice about anything, but what's on your heart right now and what do you want to share? You know, I'm not an expert in anything, so I won't, you know, call <laughs> this advice. But, you know, something that really struck me when I was a student is looking at my career and just thinking about how long that's going to be, right? So optometrists usually practice for 30 to 40 years. You know, by the time you graduate from optometry school, most of us are not, you know, 30 or 40, right? And so this is going to be practicing for longer than you've been alive. And just trying to imagine all of the different changes that are likely to happen, you know, during that process. So I think for all, a lot of us, you know, we're realizing that the optometry that we go into is not going to be the same optometry that we retire from. 
there are going to be a lot of different changes, a lot of things that are happening. And it would be really, you know, the best thing for us to kind of surf the opportunity waves that are going to come up, you know, during that time and not get left behind. And so in order for us to do that, it takes having an open mind and being curious and looking at, you know, what's out there that can actually transform our ability to serve patients. Because at the end of the day, you know, that's our purpose, you know, is to really empower people and to help make their lives better through improving their vision. So we need to be out there, you know, not thinking that we can do the same things that we were taught in school, you know, over and over and over until we retire and then sail off into the sunset. A lot of things that we are taught in school will be irrelevant at some point in our career. So we need to be, you know, thinking outside the box and really going after it in a way that, you know, as if our career depends on it, because it really does. Where can people find you if they want to reach in? Yeah, I'm available on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, feel free Drop to email handle. me. What's, where can they find you on social? Yeah, so my Instagram is Faiz underscore M. LinkedIn is Faiz Mahjoub. Thanks for having me, guys. And I've known you all since you're optometry students. And Appreciate y'all. Very proud of the work you guys are doing. So uh, keep it up. <laughs>